Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we extrapolate weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this special AI edition, I explain how image generation AI works. But first, here's news of artificial intelligence to show what you're seeing. AI for your thoughts? In separate papers, research led by the University of California, the University of Texas, the National University of Singapore, the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, and Radboud University, have made progress into tuning in to what you're seeing, using artificial intelligence, similar to the software used in AI art image generation. Back in 1999, the University of California, Berkeley in the US were able to reproduce what cats watching low-resolution black-and-white movies saw by applying digital filtering software to an electrical signal from the cat's thalamus, a region of the brain that first receives signals from the eyes, taken with an implanted electrode. The researchers were able to produce a fuzzy low-contrast video that was recognisable as the movie they showed the cats. There's a YouTube video embedded on the Diffusion website. By 2011, the Berkeley researchers were using functional magnetic resonance imaging to get visual data from the visual cortex of humans. They started by showing them black and white photographs of human faces and built a computational model to identify accurately which face they were looking at. Then they moved to moving pictures. This required the subjects to lie still in a magnetic resonance imaging scanner for hours at a time. It gets pretty noisy in there. The scanner records where the blood moves in the brain to give an indication of which parts are being used and when. They showed people video clips and matched them with a corresponding brain scan paired with a reconstruction algorithm trained on 18 million seconds of YouTube video clips. The computer merged the 100 clips that it determined were the closest to what the human saw and then displayed that combination as a blurry reconstruction of the original movie. Fast forward to 2022, and neural networks are the tool of choice for peering into what people are seeing. In January 2022, researchers at Radboud University in the Netherlands used Generative Adversarial Networks, GANs, to generate human faces, and then used them in reverse to correctly identify which faces people had seen. They found that the mathematical latent space representation of the images in the neural network model was similar enough to the representation of the faces from the brain blood flow patterns on the scanner that they could identify which faces were seen and reproduce them. The sharply focused faces that the AI generates from the brain scans are not identical to the faces the people saw, but they're close enough to be recognised as the same imaginary person like seeing a photograph from a slightly different angle or a different day. 
The researchers expect that they could show people faces of real people, like their parents, and get as good reproductions of the faces you saw as they had in the experiment. And further, that they may be able to get a picture of someone you visualise in your mind. The intent is for brain-computer interfaces. In September 2022, researchers from the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology and the University of California Santa Barbara used diffusion-based generative artificial intelligence to convert functional magnetic resonance image scans into text descriptions of the images human subjects saw, and then used a second AI software module to convert the text descriptions into images, similar to how text-to-image AI image generation works. In November 2022, the University of Singapore research where they paired functional magnetic resonance image scan recordings of the visual cortex of human subjects' brains with images they'd seen to train a model, and then used the diffusion-based generative artificial intelligence model to generate images based on the brain scanner's input. The images they used to test the system were different to the images the system was trained with. This shows that the system can deal with new unseen images. They showed people pictures of fish, giraffes, insects, fire trucks, buildings, and all kinds of things, and were able to generate images that, although different to the original images, were close enough in what they portrayed for you to identify what the person saw. I interviewed the inventor of a portable magnetic resonance image scanner for ambulances in 2019. Researchers can now get at least the meaning of what you saw and whose face if not the exact pictures you watched, by use of the latest artificial intelligence techniques. This could lead to brain-computer interfaces that let us think at computers, which could be invaluable for people too disabled to type or speak or sign to their computers. On the other hand, it could allow a massive invasion of privacy. The papers were titled Reconstruction of Natural Scenes from Ensemble Responses in the Lateral Geniculate Nucleus Reconstructing Visual Experiences from Brain Activity Evoked by Natural Movies, Hyperrealistic Neural Decoding for Reconstructing Faces from FRMI Activations via the GAN Latent Space, and Seeing Beyond the Brain, Conditional Diffusion Model with Sparse Marked Modeling for Vision Decoding. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. There are many conflicting theories regarding the importance of learning the basic fundamentals of art. Some feel that an artist should be relatively free from formal art training, rules and outside influence. On the other hand, there are those who are very academic and technical in their approach. They feel that everything should be done according to a set of predetermined rules. Regardless of these basic different lines of thought, there is one basic step that is important to both, the learning of fundamentals that help one to express graphically his ideas and emotions. In drawing, we are concerned with five basic qualities of an object. Line, which is the single dimension of length. Shape is concerned with two dimensions, length and width. Form 
is the third thing we are concerned with. It gives our drawing the third dimension, depth. For tone, our fourth consideration, we find the quality of lightness and darkness of the object. The fifth basic quality to be discovered is texture, the smoothness, roughness, or feel of an object. SmartSketch also has shape recognition, which allows you to draw shapes on screen. It kind of helps you out. So you're drawing kind of sloppy figures, if you don't mind my saying so, and it's making them squares and circles. Exactly. And if you're one of those that likes to sketch rough and clean it up later, you can just clean it up just by a push of a button and clean up your drawings mm -hmm. automatically. I can also tap on any line segment and press the delete key on the keyboard and delete those lines. We've shown you in this movie the basic fundamentals necessary to produce on paper the pictures you see in your mind's eye. Everyone, of course, cannot be a professional artist. But as Hal Cooper says, Everyone can learn to draw. AI art. Art is about expression and creativity. All art is based, to some degree, on prior art. All artists use the ideas and styles of other artists to learn and create. There are lawsuits and controversy around artificial intelligence tools for creating art, particularly the image generator Stable Diffusion. There are artists complaining that amongst the 5 billion images used to train the software, some of their art was used without their consent. Some artists believe the training was fair use of their images, but want attribution. Some artists want the attribution to stop, as there's more attribution than they have art online, and the search engines only find the attribution now. Some artists are using the AI tools to help them create their own art in new ways. A stock image company is suing Stability AI for using their images in training the software without paying a fee. Some jurisdictions have decided that training artificial intelligence is fair use and therefore legal, while others are about to test whether fair use copyright exemption applies to AI training in court. Many new people who found drawing or painting difficult are discovering how to express themselves with the new AI tools. Some artists have said that they feel the software has stolen their identity as an artist because it's so good. Other artists are suing Stability AI because they say the software is so bad it only copies the training data and rearranges it in a cut and paste fashion like a collage. Despite this being factually untrue. There's a lot of misinformation I'd like to address. I thought it was best to start with understanding what the software actually does and how it does it. There's not a lot of clear explanations out there, so here goes. Stable Diffusion is a text-to-image program released for free by the Stability AI Corporation. The Laon, L-A-I-O-N, non-profit foundation gathered images from the web in an automated scrape, and the associated text came from alt tags in HTML used to help blind web users as well as some software tagging. Leon put the text and images together to create a data set for use by machine learning researchers for free. The models that Stable Diffusion image generation software uses to generate new images were trained using these Leon data sets. The Stable Diffusion image generation software uses the data from this 5 billion image data set with text to create a description of how different things from clouds to chairs to animals and plants and people look in the world. The description is called latent space. 
it uses almost a million variables to describe how things look, gathered from all the training images. It doesn't know how everything in the world looks, and sometimes gets things like hands or the number of arms wrong. None of the models know what carnivorous plants look like, for example, despite the training data set containing lots of Venus flytrap photos. The software uses statistical algorithms to identify patterns in the data, such as colour, shape, texture or concept. This is a direct descendant of the machine vision software, or computer vision, used by self-driving cars and other robots, to form a kind of understanding of what they're looking at. Now, I'm going to use a lot of metaphors to get across some otherwise complex multi-dimensional mathematics and machine learning ideas. A neural network is composed of interconnected nodes or neurons that work together to solve a task, such as image generation. These neurons process information to make decisions, similar to the way that brain cells process information and make decisions. They're a working model of how we think the brain does a lot of its work. Just as the brain is made up of different layers of neurons that perform different tasks, a neural network model is made up of different layers that perform different tasks, such as analysing the input data or generating the output image. Just as the brain learns through experience by adjusting the connections between neurons, a neural network model learns through experience in training. By adjusting the weights and biases of the connections between nodes, it's model neurons. Imagine the software as a student who's learning how to draw pictures. To do this, the student is shown a large number of images, the training data, and is asked to learn how to draw similar images. Over time, the student learns what shapes, colours and textures make up different objects, just like the software learns what patterns make up different images. Stable diffusion uses algorithms to analyse the relationships between the different elements in each image. This allows it to learn how these elements typically combine to form different objects and how to generate new images that are similar to the training data. During image generation, the diffusion method helps to ensure that the generated image is stable and consistent. The diffusion method of stable diffusion has two stages, forward diffusion and reverse diffusion. During the forward diffusion stage in training, the image is transformed into random noise. During the reverse diffusion stage in image generation, the noise is transformed back into an image. The special source is that it's not exactly the same image, because the software uses a different random number seed, which gives the image a different starting point. It's called a latent space, because the information contained in this mathematical space is not directly visible in the generated image, but rather it's used to influence the image in subtle ways. Think of latent space like an artist's toolbox. The artist has a large collection of brushes, colours and other tools, each of which can be used to create different effects in a painting. In the same way in the latent space, the software has a collection of tools, in the form of numerical values that can be used to generate different features in an image. Or you could think of latent space as a giant library with many shelves and drawers. Each shelf and drawer is a dimension in the latent space, and each dimension represents a different characteristic of the image data, such as colour, shape or texture. It's important to understand that the image data is not the pixels of the image itself. 
storing or compressing the data description is not the same as storing or compressing the image. Stable diffusion models are about 2 gigabytes of data. For 5 billion images, that leaves only around half a byte, 4 bits, for storing each image. And that's mathematically impossible, according to information entropy theory. During training, the diffusion method helps to prevent the neural network from overfitting to the training data. Overfitting is when the neural network becomes too closely tied to the training data and can no longer generalise to new data. The diffusion method helps to prevent overfitting by transforming the image into a more abstract, random representation, which makes it harder for the neural network to memorise the training data. It's deliberately making its representation of the image less like the original, so it can better understand the concepts. In machine learning generally, you could think of overfitting like memorising a test instead of truly understanding the material. If a student just memorises the answers to a test without understanding the concepts, they may not be able to apply that knowledge to a new test or situation after they graduate. In a similar way, if a machine learning model just memorises the training data without truly understanding the underlying patterns, it may not be able to generalise to new data. To apply this to image generation, think of overfitting during training as a student who's only learned to draw stick figures. If that student is only trained to draw stick figures and has not learned how to draw more complex images, they will only be able to draw stick figures and never be able to draw new and diverse images. In the same way, if a machine learning model is overfitted to the training data during the training process, it will only be able to generate images that are very similar to the training data. So if your model is overfitted, then the images you generate from stable diffusion will not match your text prompts very well, making it useless. If you wrote a text prompt for a city, you want it to only be New York when you ask for New York, not every single time. If you do reproduce something that closely resembles training data images, it's because you've overfitted for that image by having it reproduced too many times in the training data. Most images are only in the 5 billion collection once. But famous paintings like the Mona Lisa and photos used in sales templates to sell art can be there many thousands of times. These sales template photos are reproduced all over the web to show you a phone that you could buy an artistic phone cover for, or the sofa and wall under a hung art print, for example. These images are easily reproduced by stable diffusion because they've been overfitted. To generate an image, the software uses a neural network which processes the input, which for stable diffusion is the text prompt and random seed. The software uses these to generate a corresponding image based on the patterns it's learned from the training data. Think of the text prompt as a description of what the student should draw. For example, the text prompt might say, draw a picture of a cat. The random seed is like a starting point for the drawing. It's a set of random numbers that help determine the details of the image, such as the position of the cat's tail, or the colour of its fur, or where it is. The neural network is like the student's brain. The final step for the student is to put pencil to paper and draw the picture. For the software, it uses complex algorithms to generate an image based on the input and the patterns it's learned from the training data. When the software generates an image, it uses a combination of these numerical values from the random seed to control various aspects of the image, 
such as the brightness of a colour or the shape of an object. When the software generates an image, it uses a combination of these numerical values to control various aspects of the image, such as the position of an object, the brightness of a colour, or the shape of an object. The final generated image is a result of how these numerical values interact with each other in the latent space. So there you have it. Stable diffusion is a way of using machine learning trained on a very large number of images to produce a model that can be used with other software to generate new images never seen before, based on the text prompt you write for the software and a random number seed provided by the software. Since Stability AI made the models and the software open source, many people have added to its capabilities. You can now edit an image by blacking out the part you want to change and use a text prompt to replace that part of your image with a new part of the image. If, say, the hands of a portrait came out deformed, or you wanted the sky different, or to change the cat into a dog, that's called in painting. You can also extend a picture to be part of a larger canvas and fill the gaps with images from a text prompt. So if you need to show the rest of the room your central character is in, then you can outpaint the room. Outpainting doesn't reproduce whatever was in the original room in a photo, but done well, it can be convincing. A little like Enhance in Blade Runner, but without any accuracy at all. You can teach the model about new concepts it doesn't know, such as what your own face looks like, by using a program called Dreambooth. You need about 20 photos of yourself with different backgrounds and clothes. If you wear the same clothes or you're in the same place in too many of the photos, then the neural network assumes they're part of your pattern and overfits them to your model. This means that in any new portraits of yourself you generate with this new model, fine-tuned to know your face, that it will always show you in those clothes and in that room. There's also the ability for you to sketch something and use the Stable Diffusion software image-to-image function to flesh out your drawing into a completely new picture or even a photorealistic image. The difference between Stable Diffusion software from Stability AI and similar software produced by Google and other companies is that they made the software open source so anyone can download it and use it for free, and also so any programmer can modify the code. The models they trained are available under a free license, and again, anyone can modify the models with software like Dreambooth, or train their own models from scratch, either sourcing the images from Leon or gathering their own images and text a different way. So now you know how the software works. You're better set to judge the controversies and lawsuits around the software, although to get the clearest understanding, you really need to use it yourself, even if just on a free website without downloading anything. It's a major criticism I have for the people giving long opinions on the subject on social media and in the traditional media is that even if they can't easily understand how it works because they've never found a non-academic explanation, the least they could do is try and make it generate the image they want to get a feel for how it works and doesn't work. It's not so easy to find the right text prompt to make the software generate the image you have in your mind. It's a skill in itself. But traditional computer artists who don't like the new technology like to denigrate artists who use AI tools as prompt jockeys. Or complain that it's all just too easy, as if art and self-expression must be difficult to matter. In truth, most people enjoying art 
don't care what the artist's process of creation looks like, let alone how easy or difficult it was, unless that's part of the story the artist is telling. The process of creating art with these tools can involve bringing them into image editing software, and like creating any art, many more steps before you're satisfied with the output. Like any art, you may get it right the first time by luck, but you're much more likely to get good results with training and practice. Untrained people can produce good art with these tools. Trained and experienced artists can create astonishingly good art with the same tools. Stable diffusion is definitely not generating images by making collages from an impossibly compressed set of images that are copied and distributed in the models. Yet this misinformation is the basis of both lawsuits. I'll cover the lawsuits and the controversy in much more detail next week, with more than a dash of ChatGPT. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. And rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and... 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos, and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf, or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? 
study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.